Hello, welcome to Let's Talk About Brand. I, of course, am your host, Christine Gritman. And today we are talking about branding with action. It's one thing for you to tell people what your brand is, who you are, what you're about, but it's another thing to show it. And showing it is really what people actually care about. There's that famous Maya Angelou quote, people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel. There's also, you know, actions speak louder than words. Today's guest, Tamson Webster, has been writing and thinking about this particular element of branding a lot lately. Today, we are having a fantastic conversation about how your brand's core beliefs drive the behaviors that in turn drive your brand. So we talk about what brand even means. What is this brand that we're forming via these actions? What kind of actions form them? What are the risks we take if our actions are not aligned with what we are claiming our brand to be? What part does the people receiving that message play in all of this? How do their own experiences, their own actions impact how they read our brand out of our action? And of course, I turn this all around on Thames and herself, and I hear about her brand and how she's building it thoughtfully. So today's a great conversation. Here we go. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One thing we really talk about a lot here on Let's Talk About Brand is the fact that consumers kind of have pretty sensitive bullshit detectors at this point in, in, our, in this stage of capitalism, shall we say. And thus, it's more important than ever, really, for brands to make sure that they are walking the talk and not just using it as a branding tool. So I'm very excited to speak to Tamsin Webster all about this topic. It's been a real focus for her lately, especially about how to just make sure that branding is not, your brand is not just a noun, it's a verb that you support with all sorts of other actions. So without any further ado, let's bring her on. Hello, Tamsin. Hey, Christine. All right. <laughs> we love making our guest stars feel like stars. Love it. Uh, so very happy to have you here. Um, I've interviewed you before, but not on this show. So I'm excited to talk about brand with you. Love it. Yes. Uh, in fact, let's kick it off by talking literally about brand. I don't ask this question every show, but it's always fun to hear the answers that I do get. Let's talk about what are we talking about when we talk about brand? What is brand? Well, you know, in the, I have found the most useful definition for me is that a brand is the sum total of people's experiences with you. Because it's, you know, Jeff Bezos, what people say when you're not in the room or whatever. And yes, it can be your graphic identity. But to me, it's all of that together. It's what people think of you when they think of your organization or your brand. Uh, and that is the result of all of the touch points that they have had. And so it's the sum total of people's experiences with you. 
And I love that you pointed out experiences. It's not something flat that they consume. It's not the way you present yourself necessarily. It's their experience that they are having. It's the way they are experiencing what you're putting out there. And as anyone who's tried to deal with branding knows, sometimes there's a disconnect between what you think you're putting out or you're trying to put out and the experiences people are actually having of all of that on the other end. And there's also the fact that, you know, brand, it's a noun, but it's also a verb. A verb, everything you do is a brand, the sum total of those things that you do. What are some of those things? What are some of those things that people do that they put out there that they give people as experiences that really inform what the brand is on the receiving end? Like what sort of things create that brand impression? Yeah, so think of it just any any behavior of the brand, you know, to, to anthropomorphize it a bit is going to be something that contributes to that experience. So it can be anything from what is my experience with your product or your service? Like, you know, what was the process like to buy it? What was it like once I had it? What is that thing now that I'm interacting with it? What is that experience? What is if I need any kind of support after the fact? What's that like? It also includes what I see you do in the market. Uh, so, you know, we, this is going to air much after, but you mentioned before we went recording that we're at the beginning of Pride Month and that there's a lot of you know, rainbow washing going on. People observe that and they observe that in the context of all their other experiences with you. If you're a brand that where that is a consistent behavior, then that's probably going to help cement that brand and lift that brand in someone's mind. If that is not consistent behavior, meaning it's just this is the only time you see a brand do something, well, in my mind, that starts to erode at least the intended brand that an organization or an individual might have. It establishes a slightly different one that establishes that, you know, an aspect of the brand that is, oh, this is a, this is an organization or an individual that does this because, you know, maybe they think it looks good, but that's a very different thing than, than the behaviors over time. So it really is everything from how do your, like, how do you treat your people? What do people say about you on Glassdoor? What's the sales process? What's the customer experience? What is the actual experience of the product itself? Just anything that the brand actually does and that can be observed and felt by other people is going to be contributive or complicating to that brand. One of the words you used I really loved in there, anthropomorphize. Let's anthropomorphize <laughs> the brand. I'm and a No, but it really has been. We really do kind of feel brands like people. I feel like now more than ever, there's, you know, that old chestnut of you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. A lot of times the people we surround ourselves with and choose to actively associate ourselves with are kind of a reflection on who we are. It's a sort of self-definition of our brand as a human. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And increasingly, I feel like consumer brands are taking on that mantle a bit more. And that really means that consumers really have a lot less patience, a lot less grace for for not for that inconsistency of behavior, for that inconsistency of practice values, as you illustrated. First of all, do you do you agree with that? Do you think that we are expecting more of brands or do you think it's kind of always been this way? What What's your what's your feeling on our sense of needing our brand to almost be someone we'd hang out with in a way in terms of like being copacetic with their values and all of that? So I'm going to say both in my own way, but 
Because I think it's more explicit now. So to the question of is it more now than it has been? Yes, because I think the explicit need for that alignment to be present is stronger now. Uh, however, you know, I've been in branding and messaging long enough to know that the easiest way to stay on top of things is actually to focus on the things that don't change, right? So the channels change, like various trends and whatever change, holidays change. Um, but what doesn't change is how people make decisions, how people process information, how they decide to do what they're going to do in a certain way. And when it comes to that, you know, not just research, but our own human experience would show that we don't do anything long term that feels inconsistent with our values, our beliefs, our desires, with how we believe the world should act. So that piece has always been there. And so when we have an interaction with a company or a person or a person acting like a company or a company acting like a person, uh, regardless, that particular fact of human cognition is going to be true is that maybe short term, I might buy from this person or buy that brand or whatever because it satisfies a short term need. But long term, those deeper values, those deeper beliefs are going to take over those deeper principles. And so I think what we're finding, you know, I think one of the reasons why it's so much more prevalent now or so much more explicit now is because there's so much more competition for attention and for that brand loyalty. And so I think it's a self-protective device from consumers to say, just help me understand who you are and what you're really about faster. And the, the brands who do that best, I think, win long term because it makes it easier for those folks that you know, they're for but may not know it yet to, un, to, to find them. And it makes it clearer when they take a strong stand on one side or another who they are not for. And I think longer term, that just that helps the consumer. So from a, you know, from again, if you think about it from a human needs standpoint, the humans, the consumers are trying to save brain space. Um, and the way to do that, the way that one of the ways that they can help do that is to say, I'm going to, I'm going to set up some pretty strong lines about the kinds of brands that I'm going to interact with because I just, I don't, I don't want to feel that disconnect within myself about who I see myself to be and then the brands I, I interact with. And it can also be a nice kind of cultural shorthand for, you know, I'm going to outwardly evangelize for this brand as a way of telling you that I'm this kind of person. You know, we can kind of use brands in that way. <laughs> yeah, and I think there are some folks that do that really consciously, and there's some folks that do it much more subtly and maybe even unconsciously. I've got a fr good friend. I don't know if she's been on this podcast yet, but she should be if she hasn't been, and that's <laughs> Neem James, and she studies luxury. So she really works with luxury brands and folks that, that offer services to luxury brands, travel advisors, those kinds of things, financial advisors, et cetera. And she did this amazing piece of research on kind of luxury mindset. And I think a lot of us tend to think of luxury as, you know, it's a thing. Like there's, you know, how we think about these things. That it isn't just things, it's experiences. But what she discovered is, like many other things that we do as humans, we kind of assume that our version of luxury is everybody's. But what her research found was that there's actually four different luxury mindsets. And I think this is so important and so useful, whether you're a luxury brand or not, because what she discovered is just what we were talking about is that there are some folks that use luxury as an, as a, as an 
extra label kind of putting it out there. You know, they're the ones that have the visible labels on everything, that kind of thing, because for them, it is a reflection, an outward reflection that they very much want to announce about how they feel about luxury and what they think that that reflects back on themselves. Now, contrast that with, you know, stealth wealth and those kinds of things where there's other people who, even if they're in a, even if they're quite affluent, spend their luxury money in quite different ways because for them, not showing it is actually consistent with their values and who they are. And so I think it's really important, particularly from a brand standpoint, not just to understand the mindset of the people that you're talking to and to understand that there is there are multiple mindsets and you may not be for all of them, but perhaps even more importantly to understand which of those you really do want to be for and what which of those kinds of mindsets are consistent with how you as a brand, you know, what you as a brand believe is the role of a brand or a role, the role of your products and services and achieving particular outcomes for your clients and customers. And luxury is such a great example because, you know, the way people action that adjective, the way they verb that adjective yeah, yeah. is so different. Um, I was just reading a very serious scholarly, you know, BuzzFeed roundup yeah. <laughs> about old money versus new money. And a huge yep. part of it was like new money is flashing the visible logos. Old money wants a really well-made cable knit sweater that they'll have for, you know, a decade plus. You know, it can be so different. And even that, I mean, so even that can be, can cut across, right? Because I yeah. think this is what I was finding so interesting about the the research that Neen did is that you can have new money that actually doesn't believe in flashing it either. But, I mean, and there may be all sorts of reasons, maybe because they want to look like old money, right? Or for whatever reason. And same thing, you might have old money that's just like, yeah, but I like the look of this thing. Like I want the LV on everything. I want my like shiny red Lambo, right? Whatever. So I just, I think it's, Every time I learn more about how humans make these decisions about themselves, and so much is tied in with our identity, which really comes down to our beliefs and our values, um, the more it becomes clear that as much as we may want it as branders and marketers, that there just is no such thing as one size fits all, which means that generally brands, it, it almost in a scary way, sometimes have to make some really clear choices about who at least they're going to proactively pursue, right? I think a brand can serve any number of different audiences, but, you know, in times of constrained resources and all of that, I mean, you're, you need to choose which of those audiences you're going to proactively pursue. And always my recommendation, recommendation of my clients is proactively pursue the clients and the customers that are most likely uh, to, to be converted, right? Once you've pursued them. And those are the ones where, you have this overlapping ethos where you have, where you both share beliefs and values about what things like luxury mean or what, what customer service means or what, you know, what the end goal of a, of a company should actually be. Is it profit? Is it bettering the world? So there's, there's these beliefs, they, 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 like I said before, they guide the behaviors, whether we realize that or not. Right. And it's, it's my thinking and, and my experience that, that the more that we can analyze our behaviors to excavate those beliefs, you know, notice this isn't inventing our beliefs and values about what we think will sell well on the market. It's kind of working backwards from what we're actually doing to say, 
what must our beliefs be if we behave this way and therefore are like to create this kind of brand that we have in the marketplace? Because it's only from that that you can solve you know, brand gaps, like there, where you can solve kind of dissonance, where you want the brand to be one thing and something else. It can only happen if the behaviors are consistent and that can only happen if the beliefs behind them are consistent all the way through. I love that. Now, let's say your brand, you're noticing that your customers are displaying the certain set of values in one way. Like mm. this is how, you know, maybe they do it by donating to certain causes mm. or maybe they do it by showing up at certain events. Whatever they're doing, they're displaying things via a certain set of action. Yep. Now, as a brand, sometimes your actions might be doing what they're doing, but sometimes it might be something different. And you never want as a brand to 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 kind of crash the party like that meme of like, hello, fellow kids. You know, you never want to be just sort of copying your audience to be like, look, hey, I'm totally one of you. So right. how how could a brand sort of resolve understanding their audience, understanding the actions by which they show their values that they care about, but at the same time having a good sense of, but this is who we are. I'm not even clear exactly where the question is in that. Do you get where do you get where I'm going with that though, more or less? Yeah, I mean, I think. Yeah. So, so I, I think. I mean, what I've seen that's similar to what what you've you've talked about is yeah, I have a I have a extensive background in in nonprofits, and what you what many nonprofits are familiar with is the is the is the tension between who they see themselves to be because generally nonprofits have very well defined missions. And and a donor that's offering a heck of a lot of money to them to be something a little bit different. And for some organizations that don't have not just their mission, but their those underlying beliefs and values, those really kind of pillar principles, core principles really established, it can be very easy to kind of be pulled off of the main thing. So we can map that back over to for-profit companies and where I think it's very similar, where you see, oh, like, oh, look, well, the kids are liking this. We should do that. We should go over and be there. But the thing is, we the should moment, get on the town. Yeah, exactly. Because, oh, that's where they're like, but is that where, but, but are those people really your people? I mean, that's the first, for me, to some extent, that is ultimately the, the, the first and best check is actually who, who are you for? Like, what are, who are your people? And I have found that, and it's, it's where I start, you know, all the messages that I design with my clients, that it can be helpful to start from the, the, from this starting point, which is what audience question do you exist to answer? Because like what that snaps you to right away is a couple things. One is you're making sure that you are already rooted in something that the audience actually wants, right? You're not a product or a service or a solution in search of a problem. You're basically saying, no, 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 this, this is the problem that we exist to solve. This is the question we exist to answer. This is the opportunity we exist to elevate. And, and, and we believe either based on experience or hope or research that will be done or has been done that they actually have this question. But it's the exist to answer piece that is the check on that. Because you, there's a ton of questions that your audience could have answered and that your brand potentially could answer. It could be, we can help people feel cool. We can help them do this. We can help them feel more, more about that. 
But it's about choosing one. That discipline is really important to say at its core, at our core, we are, we are about this question. And that test of we exist to answer this question for the audience um, can be dramatically helpful to help resolve that tension between who we kind of wish we had because we always want growth and market or whatever and who we exist ourselves to be. My, again, I see it over and over again that the clearer a brand is and who it's for, why it exists, what its principles are, the faster it's able to draw to it the people who actually are its deeper and its best supporters. Um, and one of the things that we you said before here and also before the call is like, it's when you do that well, you're allowing people to find you that didn't that you're for that didn't even realize you were there and that you were for them. But that only comes with that clarity of question and clarity of core principle and clarity of, of message to get out there. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Now, one place that I know a lot of brands are kind of struggling with this nowadays, some of them are, you know, hitting it out of the park with this, but some of them are trying to get their footing is with influencers, with user-generated content, with partnerships, with things of that nature. Because a lot of the brands who are doing it well, there's absolutely an alignment there of values. There's an alignment of speaking to the same ideal audience, things like that. And, and hopefully a compatible history of actions on the part of both parties. Yeah. But then, of course, there are some brands where, understandably, they're looking at where marketing is going nowadays, and yep. they're saying, you know, we're getting left behind by all these brands that are working with, again, it's it's such a cheap shot, but it's such an easy example, working with influencers on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> um, just, you know, as one example. And so they may be tempted to say, okay, well, this is where everything's going. This is where all the attention is going. And they might kind of leap into that without really taking all of those things into account. So I guess what I'm getting at is what are some of those things that brands really should bear in mind if they are going to use that type of route where either, you know, because they want to get a new audience. They want to get an audience that maybe doesn't know they exist yet. But yeah. how can they make sure that they're getting it in a way where the actions they are taking to create that brand impression is actually going to create that impression that they hope for. Yeah. I mean, to me, it all comes back down to, to honestly, it comes back to what I think of as core principles, which are the oftentimes unwritten and sometimes even more unconscious 
the rules of the road for why a, a, a brand behaves a certain way. It is those deep set beliefs and values about why they exist. I have no issue at all of a brand going out to TikTok if they, that people who share those values are also on TikTok. But the thing is like, sometimes a lot of brands just for sake of expediency or whatever are just trying to go for any eyeballs rather than the right eyeballs, right? And so if you're trying to figure out, should we do this? Where should we go? Whatever. To me, it really comes down to back all the way up because if it's, again, it's the beliefs that drive the behavior that drive the brand. So one of the best first steps that a brand can take is to, un, is to reveal for themselves the core principles behind who they are and what they do. And then use that, A, as a check on any choice of channel or whatever. But also then when you can communicate that core message to potential partners, affiliates, influencers, et cetera, it ends up being a really good check. Because it builds off exactly, it builds off that question I already articulated. So, you know, the first question that I recommend brands ask themselves is that as number one, what audience question do we exist to answer? Now that implies, of course, that you have some sense of who that audience is, but I have found much more useful long-term than we're looking for women between 25 and 34 is actually what question are they asking, right? Are they asking how can I do X, Y, or Z, or what's the best way to, or I'm trying to find, you know, a sustainable brand that helps me do X, Y, or Z, or I'm trying to find clean makeup that doesn't look like I'm wearing a mask or something like that. Like it's what, what, what is that question? Like that's actually more unifying and much more helpful for planning follow on positioning, branding, advertising, sales, and all that kind of stuff from there. The second question is, if you've got an answer, if you've got a question, like what audience question do we exist to answer? The second answer is, second question you're trying to ask yourself is, how do we answer it? Right? So, um, you know, one of my favorite examples of this, for instance, brand is uh, Eileen Fisher. And Eileen Fisher, women's clothing brand, um, they have, I love this, like, on their website, there are two navigation options. One is shop. And the other one is circular by design. And the circular by design piece is actually how they deliver on however they want to articulate the audience question of, you know, kind of a sustainable clothing brand that, you know, reflects personal style, whatever, however they want to do. But that circular by design piece is how they answer it. They're basically saying, we design clothes that do this in a way that is consistent with the values and behaviors that we want. So there's this circular piece and there's this design piece. And they can unearth the principles behind each of that. So third question. So first question, what audience question do you exist to answer? Second, how do you answer that question? And it shouldn't be 17 things. It should be the high level thing that you represent, the change, the difference that you represent in the marketplace. And then the third question is, why do you answer it that way? Because that will start to reveal to yourselves and to the rest of the, you know, your potential customer base, what those core principles are. So, I mean, I don't know what they are for Eileen Fisher, but we can start to take some guesses, right? When we talk about, all right, well, circular, why is circular the way to achieve the answer to the audience question? Why is design the way to achieve the answer to the audience question? I mean, so the more that you can start there, the more that you're like, oh, okay, because we believe, right, that you're going to get the results that you design for. 
we believe, right, that the best way that because the clothing industry is one of the biggest contributors to uh, carbon emissions, that we want to do as little harm as possible, right, whatever it might be. So the more that you can, that they can surface those things and they know them themselves, that's what allows them to simplify their navigation to do things like show me another clothing brand that does that where it was equal balance, equal importance to shop, buy from us is why we do it this way. I mean, it's, it's that's one of my favorite examples because it's such a beautiful example. It's a beautiful illustration of a brand living its principles through its behavior. Um, you know, and, and that extends to other things they do. I mean, you can take clothes that you don't want from them anymore and return them to them, right? And they will responsibly recycle them, turn them into something else, give them a second life, et cetera. Um, but it's, and they make that easy. It's, you can send it to them for free. Like, so there's so much about that, you know, to me, that's a wonderful example of how all of this works when it works well. Yep. I mean, and Eileen Fisher also, they're right near me, actually, in Irvington. Are they? Yeah. Yeah. And they had the uh, Eileen Fisher Leadership Institute as well, because they're they're all about, you know, women who want to do more than just look good, but also want to look good. So some brands, it's pretty clear the connection between beliefs, behaviors, and brands. Like that timeline is pretty clear for some brands, like, like Patagonia. Great example. Um, Tom's, Warby Parker. I mean, they, Jones Road, one of my about... favorite. Yeah, new. Yeah, exactly. Which one? Jones Road, which is Bobby yes. Brown's clean love makeup Jones company. Road. Oh, Bobby's amazing. So, um, so some brands like that, the connection is really, really clear. They are cause-based brands in a sense. But I'm sure for some brands, it's a little trickier to make those connections. Like if you're a B2B tech brand, for example, it's a little trickier sometimes to to sort of tap into the beliefs and the behavior that is driven by those beliefs to get yeah. to the brand. Um, the answering the question is certainly extra important for them. Yes. Because sometimes okay. people are just buying on the answer to the question. But oh, okay. no, I'm going to push back there because the it. vast majority of my clients are B2B tech brands. <laughs> um, wow. I didn't I mean, even know are, that. So that's they, perfect. They so are lived impact. this challenge. Yeah. So, I mean, so personally, I enjoy working with impact focused tech brands because that's a, that's, it's just, it's, it's more rewarding for me. It's also more consistent with who I see myself to be. And, and that I, I, I want to help people change the world. It's a lot easier to work with people whose clients, whose, whose offerings are meant to do that. Right. Um, but for instance, so one of my clients is a company called Mulg, M-O-L-G. And, you know, when we did this work together, the, the question they exist to answer is how can we reduce uh, e-waste? Um, so, so e-waste meaning, you know, our computers, our iPods, all of this tech stuff that once it, once it goes obsolete, it's actually a huge contributor to, uh, landfills. And a lot of times because of the batteries and the other things in it, there's a toxic waste that's coming off of, of electronics. Now there are companies that they sell to that care very much about this stuff. So they have a, they have a publicized relationship now with Dell, um, where Dell, an electronics manufacturer is also shares this question. Do you see? So by saying what audience question do we exist to answer? You start to find the other companies out there. So that's the company, like that's what they, that's what they exist to answer. Now the second question, how do you answer it? And similar, actually, in certain ways to Eileen Fisher, part of it is uh, circular design, but the other part of it is automation. Um, 
And because what they're doing is they're using AI to uh, assist the design process, both before, during, and after the design of an electronics product so that it is designed to come back apart in a recyclable, waste-reducing way. And so, so these two pieces, circular design, kind of artificial intelligence automation, AI automation, those are, the, those are kind of the two key components of how they answer that question. By the way, that's my, that's my go-to is like you, could, you should always be able to reduce it to two components. One, and it's not new. More than two, and it starts getting confusing. Two, you've got everything you need for an incredibly strong, simple, and yet still innovative thing. So circuit design and automation. And then if you dig further, okay, well, why circular? We heard we say it in, con- in uh, connection with Eileen Fisher, because you get the results that you design for, right? So if you design, if you don't design for something to come back apart in a, in a, in a way that isn't going to be toxic, it's not going to come apart in a way that's going to be toxic. But if you do design something to come back apart, if you are thoughtful from the beginning about how something is designed, it's much more likely to happen. Okay, great. Is that enough by on its own? I mean, it could be, but for, for, for the founder, Rob, like his perspective was, yeah, but we can do this better and faster with the assistance of AI. Um, because automation extends human capability. Like, again, core belief of his that you get the results that you just designed for, principle number one. Principle number two, that automation extends human capability. So then he's able to say, so that's why when, you know, for companies that want to reduce e-waste, we apply design, apply automated AI design all the way through the process, both before, during, and after, to make sure your products are designed so that the end of one product always becomes the beginning of another. That's his, that's the phrase he came up with. So like I said, it is possible, but it does mean you have to do that work to say, again, why are we here? And it, and if it's just to make money, fine, but it's going to be a really hard to say, to find an audience that intersects with that because there are very few consumers out there that are like, I am here because I want to help you company make money. Right. So this is why you have to kind of back off of some of those like quick, obvious answers and say, but yes, but, but why, why are we here? Why are we designing these things? And I have found that there's all, at least with all my clients, there's always been an answer to that. There's always been an answer to what audience question do you exist to answer? There's always been a two part answer to how do you answer it? And there have always been core principles that they share with their ideal audience explain why they answer the question that way. Oh, I love that. All right. This is a tricky one. This is close. This is wrapping it up here in, in, in conclusion, Tamsin Webster, what question does your personal brand answer? How does it answer it? And what are your beliefs that drive what behaviors that drive what brand? Thankfully I've done this work for myself. I had a feeling you may have. (laughs) You'd be surprised, yeah, though, by the number of guests who I ask to apply their own methodology to themselves who have not. Well, that's just, so let's I, hear yours. So that is one of my beliefs. It's not one of the core ones. But yeah, I believe that you you should like live the thing that you do. That's probably clear in how I talk about brand. All right. So the audience question I exist to answer is how do we build buy-in for change? Um, so like, so that can be leaders of an organization, that can be nonprofit, that can be people in marketing, but generally every, every client base that I work with is trying to figure out how to get people uh, to, to buy in 
in a change that is happening as needs to happen or to a change that they represent in the marketplace. Um, the two key components that I have, you've, you've heard them through everything we've talked about, are story and belief. Um, because change is built on story. We don't do anything without telling ourselves a story about why that change does or doesn't make sense. And second principle, and so because so the principle behind that is that you know, that change is based on story. Buy-in is buy-in is based on story. Um, so then there opens up that second question: well, What are those stories based on? Well, stories are based on beliefs. They are so if if change is based on story, stories based in beliefs. So that belief piece is the second piece, um, and belief is the point of connection. Belief, you know, belief is what drives buy-in. So fundamentally, everything that I do with my clients is about surfacing those elements, uh, sometimes in that order and sometimes in reverse. But it's about establishing what are those core principles, those core beliefs that are driving the behaviors of your brand. And then how do you articulate that in such a way so that those points of agreement and alignment long term can be articulated in a way that people understand? Because fundamentally, in order to get that buy-in, people have to understand and agree. Understanding comes through story. And agreement comes from belief. Love it. Tamsin, please tell the folks at home where they can find you, why they should find you, and what they'll find there. All right. Well, they can find me at TamsinWebster.com. Why they should find me is if they are also struggling or want to find out the strongest, simplest ways to build buy-in for change. Um, and what was the third question? What will they find there? What will they find there? They will find, uh, first and foremost, lots of content. So I've been writing on this topic for seven years now. So um, kind of from all different sides, shapes, etc. I would encourage people to sign up for my newsletter, which they can do at tamsonwebster.com slash newsletter, because a lot of these ideas and tools that I test, I send to my newsletter audience first. So that's where to find me. That's what you'll find. And that's, uh, that's why you should find it. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. This is one of those conversations that I'm definitely going to go back and listen to again myself and take notes and kind of dig into this work with myself. <laughs> so thank super. you so much for being here. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you for joining us for Let's Talk About Brand. Whether you've joined us on your podcast player of choice via the Adweek Podcast Network, if you enjoyed it, please do subscribe and leave a review. Or maybe you're joining us on YouTube for the video podcast. Same deal. Please do subscribe and leave a review and make sure to join me next week when I'll be back with another guest expert talking about another element of branding. Bye. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk About Brand, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Christine Gritman, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heil, and edited by Christine Gritman. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com.